Chapter Thirteen of Commentary on Romans by Theodoret of Cyrus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Verse One: Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Whether a man be a priest or a bishop or profess a monastic life, let him be subject to those who are invested with authority. Evidently, if it be consistent with duty to God, for any opposition to the divine laws leaves us not the power of obeying our rulers. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. And these come from the providence of God, for he, consulting the general well-being, ordained some to govern, and some to be governed, imposing the fear of the magistrate to serve as a bridle on evil-doers. But we must observe that it is the ordinance of ruling and being ruled which the holy apostle derives from the providence of God, and not so much the elevation of this or that specific individual to power for it is not so much the sway of the unjust but the constitution of the office itself which is of god's appointment and yet when kindly disposed towards any he gives them rulers who respect and keep justice for i will give them says he pastors according to mine heart which shall feed them with knowledge jeremiah three fifteen and again i will give your judges as at the first and your counsellors as at the beginning Isaiah one twenty six, and when again desirous to chastise transgressors, he suffers them to be governed by evil governors also, for I will place over them, says he, children to be their princes, and scoffers shall rule over them. Isaiah three four. But it is time to return to the rest of the exposition. Verse two Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, he fitly deters them and they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment that is will become obnoxious to punishment and then he points out also the use of government verse three for rulers are not a terror to good works but to the evil for they chastise those that live in wickedness wilt thou then not be afraid of the power do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same verse four for he is the minister of god to thee for good he shows that he is worthy of all respect in calling him the minister of God, and he exhorts also to the performance of good deeds in saying that rulers are applauders of good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. If thou lovest what is good, honour then the government which enjoins these same things. But if thou pursuest the reverse, fear then its judgment for it is appointed of God for the punishment of the evil. Verse 5. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience's sake. By wrath he means punishment, and on both grounds he bids us be obedient, both from fear of punishment, and that we may fulfil what is our duty, for that is what he means by conscience's sake. Verse 6. For, for this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. For while thou art asleep, he is bearing about him the common care, and while thou sittest at home, he is meeting the war which brings thee peace. Verse 7. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. By tribute he means the taxes arising from land, but by custom the excise or duty from merchandise. Not are these only what he calls dues, but fear and honour also these are owing from the ruled to the rulers verse eight owe no man anything but to love one another not that we are not to pay the debt of love for this we ought to discharge before anything else but that we should increase it by that payment for such discharge augments the debt in that it makes love the warmer for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law 
how and in what manner verse nine for this thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not kill thou shalt not steal thou shalt not covet and if there be any other commandment it is briefly comprehended in this saying namely thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself for he who is kindly disposed towards any one kills not him whom he thus loves commits not adultery with his wife steals not anything belonging to the object of his affectionate regard nor does any other thing which might give him pain for so he subjoins verse ten love worketh no ill to his neighbour and then drawing his conclusion therefore love is the fulfilling of the law and so also the lord being asked which was the first commandment mentioned the first and joined the second to it mark twelve thirty thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbour as thyself and shows that in the former is established perfect theoretical and in the second perfect practical virtue and so in like manner the holy apostle therefore love is the fulfilling of the law and then he goes on to say verse eleven and that knowing the time that now it is high time for us to awake out of sleep that is especially as this is not a time for sleep but for arousing ourselves from slumber for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed for each day we draw nearer to the coming of the lord in judgment verse twelve the night is far spent the day is at hand by night he means the season of ignorance by the day the time since the appearance of the lord among us for the sun of righteousness having arisen has enlightened the whole world with the rays of divine knowledge let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light by darkness he means ignorance and by the works of darkness evil actions and knowledge is what he calls light and the performance of good deeds the armour of light verse thirteen let us walk honestly as in the day by natural things he sets forth spiritual things for so they that embrace a life of sin commit such sin in the night while in the daytime they put on the appearance of orderly conduct he intends then that the night having as it were passed away and ignorance ceased we should depart from evil deeds and what these are he goes on to specify not in lasciviousness and drunkenness not in chambering and wantonness not in strife and envying for in their feasts some were wont to act lewdly and defile their tongues with obscene songs all of which drunkenness provokes as it is also the parent of wantonness and the teacher of strife and quarrelsomeness verse fourteen but put ye on the lord jesus christ not that they should receive another baptism but consider the garment wherewith they were already clothed and make not provision for the flesh to fulfil the lusts thereof here he stops the mouths of those heretics who condemn the flesh itself for he denounces not care for the body but forbids luxurious indulgence and intemperance saying not make no provision for the body but make it not for the lusts that is prepare it not by luxurious living to play the wanton having thus in its turn fully spoken of practical virtue he now returns again to doctrinal instruction and here it is first necessary to explain the scope of the apostle's arguments that the exposition of what he says may be more clearly understood the gentile believers then embraced the polity prescribed by the gospel while many of the jews who had become proselytes to the gospel persisted still in submission to the institutions of the law keeping still to the observation of particular days and partaking of such food only as the law directed hence a disunion arose and indeed positive quarrels these latter condemning the gentile believers for their indiscriminate use of all foods 
and the former despising them in their turn on account of their extreme and superfluous adherence to the law to correct all this therefore the holy apostle offers such admonitions as are suited to both parties and first he exhorts the gentile believers to brotherly love End of chapter thirteen